0: You know, since May, no, March 2020, uh, we've lived a life none of us have seen coming. In fact, let's kind of take a ride on the way back machine here. So as as 2019 drew to an end, let me just remind you of some of the news headlines that we were talking about. Don Cherry is fired, the impeachment of Donald Trump, the first impeachment, Uh, we had An election that resulted in a new minority government. Uh, We had that SNC-Lavalin affair, Jody Wilson-Raybould. We had that awful New Zealand moss shooting. The Raptors won the NBA championship. The two Michaels are arrested in China. Um, Wealthy and well-known parents like Felicity Huffman and uh, Aunt Becky, uh, Lori Lori Loughlin, uh, paying to get their kids unfairly admitted to elite colleges. Meghan Markle and and Prince Harry introduced their son Archie to the world. Does that not seem like a lifetime ago? Um, Words like coronavirus were unknown. Names like George Floyd were not known. Even the idea of an economic downturn would have been laughable. If you went back in time, even just to the start of 2020, And said that in a few short weeks, a pandemic would grip the world. That schools and businesses and churches would be forced to close down. That protests and riots would be on some of our streets or on the news. Unemployment would reach levels not seen since the Great Depression. Face masks would be the new normal. You would have thought you were reading a script for an episode of The Walking Dead. Uh, But it all happened, didn't it? And we've been living through it for a year and a half now. But thank goodness this thing's over, right? Maybe not. We've had a few false starts thinking that, you know, we're on the home stretch. That it's coming to an end. And as of today, I don't know if... This is even coming to an end. I have been that naive guy throughout this pandemic who always thought we'd be done by, you know, fill in the blank. I thought we'd be done by Easter 2020. Okay, by Christmas, definitely by summer, certainly by the first September in 2021. And here we are. And I learned a new word this week, endemic. And if I understand it correctly, you can correct me if I haven't quite got it. But it's a, a pandemic you essentially learn to live with because it's not been contained and it's certainly not eradicated. Whether it's due to the unvaccinated or the variant potential or the way we can't vaccinate other countries quickly enough or um, changing CDC and scientific information or learning that boosters may, may be in our future because of diminishing returns on the vaccine, whatever the reason, we are not out of this yet. So tell me, Pastor, why then are we doing a series called The Comeback when we seem to be a long way from coming back from anything? Well, you know this. There are some things that we can't control, obviously. We just have to respond the best we can with sort of the cards that we've been dealt. But there are things... Uh, we do have a measure of control over. Things that we can make choices about. Because the last 18 months was about more than a virus, wasn't it? Something happened over the year and a half, and a lot of it wasn't good. Uh, the number one thing I hear when I ask people, how you doing? They say, uh, if I'm honest... Um, I'm not in a good place right now. And if you stay with that conversation and kind of push on what that means, all kinds of things start to come out. They have anxiety about reentering the work world. They, their marriage took a big hit and may not survive. They, they're finding themselves angry and they're not even totally sure why. They catch themselves flipping out on people. Some will say they're kids kind of went off the rails, you know, either distance learning or separation from their friends brought out all these issues and conflicts. You know, some developed addictions or at least dependencies on everything from porn to pills to screens to booze. Many are dealing with a deep depression. Friends and family, people we Loved and did life with on the front end ended up as kind of relational casualties because we we fell on differing sides of an issue. Uh, lots of us gave in to selfishness, you know what started with hoil- uh, uh, hoarding toilet paper you know became sort of a full blown self serving me against the world mentality. Many stopped caring about other people and got really mean-spirited, road rage. Have you seen the fights in stores and in airplanes and uh, in stadiums? Like the online world was always a bit of a toxic place, but these days, man, it's like we've given ourselves over to outright contempt. And spiritually, I gotta say, not many would say it was a time of growth, In their relationship with God or a time of increased intimacy with with him. Some would, but but not the majority. Instead of feasting on scripture and spending time in prayers, a lot of us feasted on Netflix and our news feed and battling others online, and it only seemed to make things worse. Uh, So here we are maybe nearing the end, maybe not, maybe no end in sight. But regardless, it has done a number on us. I feel it. And so I would like to call us, I would like to challenge us again, whether or not this pandemic is over anytime soon, that we would mount a comeback from this. COVID, COVID. you know has has stolen so much from our families and our church and our community and our spirits, and we need to mount a comeback from that, start to put it behind us now please don 't mishear me, okay because this is not ignoring the very real and current uh, concerns of an uncontained pandemic as a church. we will continue to abide. By health protocols and directives. We, we don't have control over that, but we have a measure of control as to how we react, right? Whether to continue to allow it to just chip away at our spirit, chip away at our relationship with God. Folks, it's time for a comeback. Somebody say Amen. And pardon me if some of these Sunday titles are like the the teens were saying before service. are you doing clickbait? Maybe a little bit. They're a little cheeky. For instance, next week, I'd like to challenge us to take our mask off. And uh, in this case, I'm not talking about masks of cloth or linen or face coverings, but something more intrinsic to our identity. That's what this series is going to be about. How do we come back emotionally, spiritually, relationally, even if we're technically kind of still in the middle of it. We're going to be looking at five biblical keys to putting the last 18 months behind us. So just nod your head if you're picking up what I'm laying down here. Yeah, good, good, good. So let's jump into this first one. We've heard over the last year about social distancing. I've never had heard that term before COVID started. I never kind of want to hear it again. This is the first biblical key. I want to challenge us to stop social distancing. Again, I want to make this clear. I'm not talking about six feet, okay? I'm talking about the kind of social distancing that took place over the last 18 months that drove us relationally apart, okay? Okay. Um, uh, Even those of us who are bound together through the love and the life of Jesus. In fact, let's just be honest about what has happened between Christians, right? Here's how Timothy Dalrymple, uh, he's the president of Christianity Today, put it. He said, one group within evangelicalism believes our religious liberties have never been more firmly established. Another, that they've never been at greater risk. One group believes racism is still systemic in our society. Another, The systemic racism push is some progressive program to redistribute wealth and power to angry radicals. One group is more concerned with the insurrection at the Capitol, another with the riots that followed the killing of George Floyd. One believes the Trump presidency was generationally damaging to Christian witness, another that it was enormously beneficial. One believes the former president attempted a coup, another that the Democrats stole the election. One believes masks and vaccines are marks of Christian love. Another, that the rejection of the same is a mark of Christian courage. I I realize there's a lot of Americanism in in that quote. And uh, and let's be honest, we got sucked into those issues and debates too, right? And as we find ourselves now in the middle of a Canadian election, uh, the issues might be a little different, but the divisiveness around those issues, it's really familiar, isn't it? And it's not just that we have divides, because there's always been divides, but now they're divides that we have elevated, um, and everything that used to bind us together, we've let them become these deeply embedded wedges between us. So much so that we let them end relationships, with friends with family with our church so does the bible have anything to offer us in what feels like a very 2021 issue what would god say to us in this moment because not surprisingly disagreements ending in relational breakdown is not it's not unique in our day so let me take you to one that is recorded very unflinchingly in the Bible between two of the most celebrated and godly Christian leaders. Here's the background story. It involved a man named Paul, okay? He's a leader of a church. He's appointed by Jesus himself. And there's a younger apprentice in the early Christian movement named John Mark, who was usually just called Mark. And together they were part of what was known as the first great missionary journey. And uh, they, were, they were this team that was sent by the home base in Jerusalem in order to travel around, to plant churches, to, to help grow Christianity. But here's what happened. Before the journey was completed, uh, Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. Uh, he didn't see the mission through. Now, we don't know, we don't know why. He could have been homesick. Uh, there could have been some emergency at home. Um, you know maybe there was some change of plans in the middle of it that where they added a city or two and you know uh, he may have felt that wasn't what he had signed up for anyways what we do know is that there was a change of leadership from a man named Barnabas to whom Mark was very close to in fact Barnabas and Mark were cousins and the new leader was Paul who maybe Mark wasn't as close to we we don't really know what happened and this might be a situation actually where the details would only muddy the point it's an evergreen story because um, there was a disagreement that's something we can all relate to regardless of what side you're on in this particular issue we we just know that before the journey had been completed mark left the team and he went home And we also know how Paul felt about Mark's decision. He felt that Mark had betrayed them on some level, that he'd let them down. In fact, later, when Barnabas suggested that they invite Mark along for the second missionary trip, Paul was like, over my dead body. Here's how it's recorded for us in in the Bible in, in the New Testament book of Acts. It says, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark But Paul chose Silas. You don't have to read too much in between the lines on that one. They they broke up over a difference of opinion on, on Mark. In essence, Paul said, if Mark is in this, I'm out. And Barnabas is like, if Mark isn't in this, I'm out. So Barnabas took Mark and did his thing. And Paul took another man named Silas and did his thing. You know, sometimes we think these famous apostles and disciples and writers of scripture were somehow beyond all this pettiness. Remember, they were flawed men and women too, and they had moments of outrage and unpopular opinions and immaturity like all of us do. So for Paul, Mark was such a hot button issue. He couldn't get over it, couldn't get past it. Uh, For Paul, Mark did something, stood for something that couldn't be tolerated. Therefore, he couldn't uh, be part of anything Mark was a part of. Would you say that lately there are some issues that some have elevated to deal breaker status? Uh, Whether or not to wear masks, whether or not to be open or closed, whether or not to get vaccinated, whether or not, Systemic racism exists, whether you vote conservative or liberal, whether you read from a certain Bible translation or sing certain songs from fill in the blank, you know? It seems in 2021, there's no such thing as a middle ground. Uh, there's, there are trigger words that we don't even know are trigger words. And many Christians are choosing their ideological tribe, not on doctrinal biblical understanding but instead on political allegiance or culture war issues and now because words are used as weapons and and they lose all their meaning everyone is a heretic have you noticed that apparently heretic means i disagree with your position on any one of a thousand secondary issues so now it makes it really easy for people to, to bow out of a healthy church community over what they think is heresy. But it's really a secondary issue. That's the context every pastor now finds themselves in. And I, I, I think of poor Chris had a phone call of somebody who was checking us out and looking for a church. And they asked if we sing the songs from these certain churches, which we happen to sing from all those people, and uh, said, well, then I, I can't, in good conscience, come. And the truth is, like, there are things about all those organizations that we sing songs from that I, you know, there's some cringy things, things I don't agree with, uh, even aesthetically or minor theological things, but man, we make deal-breakers, a lot don't we pastors aren't unique in this i mean healthcare workers teachers store clerks are all facing this kind of conflict but you know pastors are in tough spots these days there are those who would wish i would speak more into some of these cultural issues there are those i think uh, who wish i would speak less into some of them Uh, Somebody suggested I stop talking about the sin of racism because, according to them, white supremacy and privilege doesn't exist in Canada and the US. Uh, Some of you perhaps assume you know how I'm voting this fall, and I guarantee you don't. You know why? Because I don't know how I'm voting this fall. Sometimes I'm asked, you know, are you politically conservative? or liberal. And I'm like, I don't know, name the issue and I'll tell you. As though there were some political ideology that kind of lines up perfectly with every Christian worldview. In the case of Paul and Barnabas, it doesn't actually matter who was in the right or who was in the wrong. You know, what matters is they allowed this thing to become a, a relational divide. So what happened to Mark? It turns out Barnabas giving him a second chance was a good call. Uh, mark not only continued to work for the mission and the growth of the early church; he even wrote one of the four biographies that, of Jesus that we call the Gospels. You know, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's the Mark we're talking about. Gospel simply means good news, and um, it it was the end of the relationship. Between him and Paul, though, was it? Would that divide between them be the final word? Well, we know the answer to that, too, actually. Years later, toward the end of Paul's life, the Bible records a, an interesting little event. Paul wrote two letters to a younger leader who he was mentoring named Timothy. And at the end of the first of these two letters, he put in a line to Timothy. And if you didn't know this backstory that we were talking about today, this line wouldn't really stand out. But now that you know about this conflict, I find this a really interesting line. Here's what what Paul says to Timothy. Get Mark, that Mark, and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Paul asked Timothy to bring Mark with him because Paul valued what Mark brought to his life's work. It's kind of a complete turnaround from where they'd been. Instead of excluding him, Paul's including him. Instead of seeing him as a liability, it looks like he now sees him as a, as a priceless asset. So whatever divide they had, it, it was no longer relevant, it seems. And uh, it makes you wonder what happened there. I think... I'm speculating here, but I think t- two things happened. First, through the passage of time, I think Paul and Mark obviously came to see that what divided them in the past was kind of meaningless. You know, in the moment it seemed like everything. But as the years passed, it 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 mattered less and less. Like Won't that be the case for many of us? Tell me truthfully, in five years, in three years, in one year, uh, will one person's opinion on COVID protocols or politics or pipelines or vaccines or vaccine passports or Trudeau's response to whatever, will that really be the basis for breaking off a relationship with someone that we used to love, um, we will see that maybe that wasn't worth ending community over. I mean, in terms of Jesus and the mission that we have and uh, what we are called to during this short span of time on earth, will it matter? I don't think so. I don't think so. Some of you already know how time can soften your anger. It can reframe it to the point where you can honestly say, I I don't even remember why I was so angry. It wasn't worth the relationship loss. Could we just wipe the slate clean? But the passing of time, I don't think is the only thing that happened between Paul and Mark. A second more powerful and significant thing was that they both intentionally chose to practice grace. See, there are some things that we don't have any choice over and some things that we do. That grace that has been so freely given to us, undeserved from Jesus, that same grace is meant to be passed on to others freely. Just a reminder what grace is. Grace at its heart is getting what you don't deserve and, and not getting what you do. It's something that we receive, we don't earn it. And not only is grace at the heart of the Christian faith, it's supposed to be at the heart of the Christian life. I know we like to talk about grace. We love to sing about grace. This is amazing grace. We love to be on the receiving end of grace. Um, It's being on the giving end that we find really hard, don't we? But if grace is going to truly be a part of your life, it has to be more than receiving it. We have to be on the dispensing side of it too. Um, If I said the name Clara Barton. Would anybody know who I was talking about? Okay, maybe it's more of an American thing. I, I just read about her this week. Clara Barton was the woman who founded the American Red Cross. Uh, I read this great story about her. There was a friend who, oh, they're coming for you, Chris. Uh, there was a friend of hers who once reminded her of this really cruel thing that had been done to her years ago. And Clara didn't seem to recall it. And her friend sort of prodded her on. Oh, surely you must remember that horrible thing that was done to you. No, Barton said, I distinctly remember forgetting it. Isn't that a great line? She distinctly remembered forgetting it. That is someone dispensing grace. There's this natural human response that plays out in marriages and in other relationships And this response, I think, is one of the most divisive, cancerous things that can happen in a relationship. Are you ready for it? Five simple words. You should be like me, you know? And over the last 18 months, it's been, you should think like me, you should feel like me, you should make the choices I make. If not, you must be bad, wrong, wicked, And I can't even be in the same room with you. I can't tolerate you. So how does grace change the dynamic? Grace says we are going to agree to disagree agreeably. Okay? It's such a simple idea. We're going to have to agree to disagree agreeably and decide to keep loving each other in the midst of it. Pick your topic. Vaccines, masks, school open, school closed. Doug Ford is great, Doug Ford is not so great. It's all about the economy. No, it's all about safety. Reformed, Arminianism, liberal, conservative, progressive, orthodox, black lives matter, blue lives matter, renters rights, landlord rights. People divided on just about everything. DC versus Marvel, folks. It's Marvel all the way. Um, Oh, that's that's what I get a clap for? Grace would step in and allow two people to say, you know what? I disagree with you on that issue, but there's no way that is going to undermine our relationship, much less our our family relationship in Christ. Ain't gonna happen. I know I, I may have gotten heated a time or two, and I'm sorry for that, We disagree, but I love you regardless of who's right or wrong. Because we're both so broken, and we need grace from God. Um, And even a year from now, are we going to really feel like any of this was important enough to sever a relationship, separate from a friend, become estranged from a a daughter, uh, decide to leave a community of faith? Haven't you found that one of the things that grace does is diffuses things. And Satan, who despises grace, by the way, is, is um, he wants to eradicate grace from the human experience as much as possible. And, and while simultaneously kind of fanning the flame of every disagreement. And for the last 18 months, he has been drunk on it. it it's been easy pickings for him. So, Folks, the first key to a spiritual comeback this September is to putting the last 18 months behind us is to stop social distancing. Again, not in terms of six feet, not in terms of physical safety, but in terms of that deeper issue, the the distancing that causes relational breakdowns. Stop social distancing by getting on the dispensing side of grace and if you're wondering so are you saying uh i should pursue the people who are clearly wrong on whatever issue uh who've offended me and caused strained relationships are you saying i'm the one who should pursue them and apply copious amounts of grace to restore the relationship yeah that's that's kind of what i'm saying I know it won't be easy, but I also know that God shows up when you exercise grace towards others. And you know what? He'll even help you give it out. You gotta know there are people who have given it, given grace for things much harder, much deeper, relational divides than maybe we can even relate to. Let me me tell you a quick story. And I promise we'll close with this. You've heard me talk about this lady a few times. In the late 1930s, Corrie Ten Boom was a woman living in a small town in the Netherlands. And she was seeing firsthand the German onslaught against Jewish people. So Corrie, along with her family, began to hide Jewish people in their home. Uh, To this day, you can actually uh, tour the home where she lived and see uh, this hiding place. It's also the name of her famous book, um, where so many people were kept and were protected from capture and most certainly from death. But her family was discovered and were ultimately sent to a place whose very name would strike terror when it was spoken. Corey was sent to uh, Ravensbrook. It was a notorious woman's extermination camp. Meanwhile, her father died within the first two weeks of his arrest. Corey and her sister went through the horrors of Ravensbrück. Her sister eventually died. Corey survived. She survived the humiliation, the beatings, the deprivation, the sickness, the stench, the... She survived. She was released actually on a clerical error a week before she was scheduled for the ovens. And Corey spent the rest of her life speaking of Christ's love and forgiveness and mercy wherever she went. And many of you no doubt have read her book or seen her movie. So years later, she's at a church service in Munich. And uh, that's when Corey saw him. Uh, He'd aged, but she recognized him just like it was yesterday. Uh, He was the former Nazi soldier who had stood guard at the shower room in Ravensbrück. She'd been forced to walk past him naked, past this leering, laughing, cruel man. This was the first jailer that she had seen since her release, and suddenly it all returned the trauma of it all returned, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing in a pile, her sister's fear. And he walked up to her immediately. Can you imagine? And he said, I'm so grateful for your message, Uh, to think that as you say, Jesus has washed away my sins. And then he put out his hand to shake hers. And told her what she had already guessed. He said, I was a guard at Ravensbrück. I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But Fräulein, would you forgive me? And Corey thought to herself, I can't. My sister died there. My father died. You were going to kill me. It's just too much to erase. Too much to forgive. It's, It's too much to ask She who had spoken so often in churches about the need to forgive kept her hand at her side. But he kept his arm outstretched and she just looked at it. But she knew that forgiveness wasn't an act of emotion. It was an act of the will. It was a decision. And suddenly she thought to herself... Jesus died for this man. Am I going to ask for more? So she prayed under her breath. She said, Lord Jesus, forgive me and help me to forgive him. And she tried to smile. She struggled to raise her hand, but she couldn't. She felt nothing, not even the the slightest spark of warmth or, or charity. So she prayed again, Lord Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And then she took his hand and when she did, she said the most extraordinary thing happened from her shoulder along her arm. It's though she felt a current that seemed to pass from her to him and into her heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed her. You know, it can spring into yours as well. It needs to spring into yours. It needs to spring into mine. It's time, friends. Our comeback depends on it. Will you stand with me as we sing?